Imagine learning in a small group intimate setting while exploring unique European locations. EU Vet CE Experiences offers race-approved CE seminars that combine half-day lectures with time to relax and discover captivating cultures. The CE sessions are delivered in English, allowing you to elevate your career while vacationing with loved ones. Experience the perfect blend of learning and luxury at EU Vet CE Experiences interactive seminars in hand-picked European destinations. Elevate your knowledge and recharge simultaneously. Visit euveterinaryce.com to learn more. I would argue that I thought I knew the path. And then it was, as I look back on it now, it was really a simplistic idea about a, a girl who loved her horse, you know? And that was like the basis of it. And as I grew, then so did my choices. You know, I've had five careers, you know, and here I am. And- Welcome to Vet Life Reimagined. Today, I have the CEO of Gallant, the company that is advancing the field of stem cell medicine and bringing life-changing treatments to pets everywhere. My guest is Dr. Linda Black. She's a veterinarian and has a PhD in cell and molecular biology, but her start was that she was a girl who loved her horse. We talk about her career and life changing as she changed. She talks about her tips for leadership, women empowerment, and creating meaningful change in people's lives. We also talk about the future of stem cell therapy for pets and how it may impact us all in vet med. So here is Dr. Linda Black. Welcome, Dr. Black. I'm so excited. You you were recommended to be on Vet Life Reimagined. So I'm very excited to hear more about your really fascinating career journey and your interest in veterinary medicine. So as we all start, when did you know you wanted to get into veterinary medicine? Gosh, um, long time ago when I was about maybe 11. I was a horse girl. I, you know, had a a uh, big seal brown um, quarter horse gelding, and I rode and uh, showed, you know, in quarter horses in Southern California. And the barn was a place for me. It was like a sanctuary. It was a place where I felt safe. I loved it there. And one day he called it, and it wasn't a simple, you know, let's walk him for twenty minutes, you know, kind of calling. And uh, one night turned into the next day. It turned into three days of sleeping at the barn and. You know, the veterinarian might have been there maybe 10 times, that kind of thing. And ultimately, he was fine after, you know, bags and bags of fluids and, and all of that. And ultimately, he was okay. And I think in those moments, I associated, you know, this veterinarian with saving my horse's life and uh, ultimately kind of saving my life because I loved him so much. And uh, and in those moments, I decided to be a veterinarian, specifically a horse veterinarian, which is not where I meant today. But but uh, But yeah, that was my decision. Yeah. Well, actually, that's, I always find that very fascinating as well. It's very common to go into vet school with one idea. And then through the the years, when you kind of see different things, you you change. So what was that growth for you during vet school? Yeah, so it actually happened in vet school that I started to really love science. And so I was in school, but as part of work study and trying to pay for vet school, I worked in some research labs and started to learn about virology and immunology and applying it to actual, the rigors of science and things. And so I started to fall in love with that. And so that sort of influenced, you know, as I went along. And 
So I graduated veterinary school and not wanting to be not true to myself, I went into equine practice. I did that for about three years. Loved it, but always missed the science. And at the same time, I was still working in the lab part-time, just doing dabbling, you know. And I really realized after about three years that I loved that and more so than being an equine practitioner, which was out in the field and and that. And so I went on and then did a postdoc. I was trying to find the thing between, you know, veterinary medicine and a PhD and all of that. And so I landed in this comparative medicine postdoc where I was able to go into a pharma company. I, I was doing that at a pharma company at the time, a human pharma company. And I was able to um, help the scientists there do drug development by helping them with their animal models. And so, again, I was kind of using um, that those science skills with my clinical skills. And then I just, towards the end of that, that was two years, I realized that I really wanted to get my PhD because it was really science that I was good at and I wanted to do that. So um, I was in the Philadelphia area, so I went to Penn, got my PhD in cell and molecular biology, and was going to be a basic cancer biologist, you know, work in academia or at an institute. It was sort of reimagining my vet school days where I worked in a lab. And, uh, and then I think my biological clock started to tick, and I decided, ooh, I better, you know, have a child. And I had my child after I finished my PhD, like right at the very last year of my PhD, and that changed everything again. <laughs> so you become a mother, your priorities change, you, uh, it's just all different again, you know? And so I had to reevaluate my life and he became the priority. I didn't really want to leave him. So I couldn't, for example, go back and do, you know, an academic postdoc, which is a little bit like a glorified grad student where you're working even longer hours than a grad student. I, I, I couldn't do that and leave him at home. And so uh, I thought, hmm, it took me a little time, but I, I decided to uh, start a science writing business. So I was able to stay at home with him, but stay engaged with science by writing continuing education materials for pharma companies, translating scientific articles into something a lay person could understand, getting those art articles published. I learned all about the science writing industry. Um, and then probably four years after that, when he was older, a little more independent, and I felt fully bonded with him and like things were on a good track, I started to consult at an uh, animal health company, a large animal health company. And I loved that too. It was different. It was a good paycheck that allowed me to, you know, care for us, et cetera. I learned a lot about drug development for animals, which I found fascinating. I um, learned about marketing and sales as well as the science behind it all. But I wasn't a big company girl. That's one thing I learned. So it was very difficult to, for example, make an impact that you could actually see in a big company like that, because mostly because they're big, it takes them longer time to make decisions, that kind of thing. And so just fortuitously, and this is how the universe typically tends to work, um, right at that time when I was realizing like, ooh, this is not really for me, even though I like it, I've learned a lot. I started to get recruited by the pioneering company in stem cell technology for pets. And at that time, and it will it always will be the pioneering company is VetSTEM. And so I was recruited to VetSTEM. And it sounded fascinating. It was an, I was able to use my clinical skills combined with my PhD. You know, it was, you know, how do these cells work? Uh, why are they working? And seeing dogs, you know, being treated with stem cells for osteoarthritis and, you know, dramatically improving that kind of thing. And I, I just, 
it was magical. I just fell in love with the space of regenerative medicine and kind of committed, not knowingly really, my life to developing those products. And I stayed there for a good amount of time. And that's kind of where I got today. That was kind of what led me to today is what I mean, to my current company. Yeah. To me, you called them pioneering. And absolutely, this is to some people, probably a lot of people, this is kind of hard to wrap your mind around with stem cells because it is a very unique type of treatment for pets. But even for people, I feel like it's still kind of we're figuring out like all the ways that we can use this and benefit from this. So I am curious, just you, you've had, you have this really awesome diversity of experience from communicating scientific information to make it understandable, which by the way is extremely hard. So good for you. (laughs) That is really impressive. But then on top of it, you know, producing these products that a lot of people may not fully understand. So what were your experiences with working in, you know, whether it's with veterinary communities or, or beyond about trying to communicate something that is that is new and, and different? We would like to thank our sponsor, VetBadger, the all-in-one practice management software that puts relationships first. Created by working veterinary parents, VetBadger provides all the communication, team workflow, and medical management tools you need to run an efficient practice and get home to the relationships that matter most. In support of parents in VetMed, VetBadger will be offering a signed copy of the book, Pregnancy and Postpartum Considerations for the Veterinary Team by Emily Singler to everyone who registers for a demo between Mother's Day, May 12th, and Father's Day, June 16th. To register, visit vetbadger.com and find the link in the description below. Yeah, well, I think it was challenging in the beginning days, you know, back in 2005, 6, and 7, when the veterinary industry, regenerative medicine industry was really just beginning. Nobody really knew anything, and, and VetSum was the company at that time that was pioneering and being able to educate and and treat the first animals with stem cells. And so, but the field was young, you know, we didn't know a lot of things either then. And so as the research evolved, we just continued to communicate those things. And, but seeing is believing. And when you see a dog who can't really walk upstairs well, and you, you put stem cells in their joints and, you know, 30 days later, they're a good percentage of them are out chasing squirrels in the backyard your, your eyes believe it, you know, whether you don't know how it works, but, but it works. And so uh, I think it was just challenging. And today we know a lot more, of course, there's more than 600 companies globally working in the human space on cell therapies. Um, but still, I won't say struggling, but we're still, it's still a growing field. Let's put it that way. Yeah. Yeah. And then you personally, you said that impact was really important for you. So how were you feeling like you were thriving and having impact here? And then maybe as you went to your, your next place? I think there um, at VetSTEM, it was about bringing a new class of therapies to the marketplace. And so having a novel way to help pets that on many occasions don't, didn't have other therapies. So osteoarthritis, of course, there's other therapies, but there's chronic, other chronic conditions that there are no therapies for that stem cells have been shown to work. And I, I can talk about those in a minute when I talk about my current company. 
Um, and so I felt like I was really having an impact in that way. And that all this animal research then paves the way for human research and paves the way for human clinical studies. You know, all human clinical studies have to be backed up with preclinical animal models, that kind of thing. And so it was really contributing to the field as a whole to publish some of the first papers in dogs that showed that we could uh, make them significantly better uh, with stem cells. So, so I felt that was really meaningful to me. And also, I learned a lot about leadership and as, as I grew in these companies. Uh, so there was a couple between VetSTEM and where I am now, but um, leadership in the ways of collaboration, being courageous, leading with compassion, creating a safe environment, teamwork, all those kinds of things. Sometimes you learn from negative environments as much as positive ones. And so... So I started to just bank all this information in my brain and, and I started to have this feeling like, you know, business could be done differently. Like I, I, I became really uh, engaged with the idea that we could do business differently and still have a great business. And so make an impact on two fronts, both from a therapeutics perspective, you know, in the field of veterinary medicine, but also from a human perspective and creating meaningful change in people's lives. And it's kind of evolved that it's mostly women, you know, my current company, which I'll talk about in a minute, we're a female led company. And it really wasn't by choice, it just sort of evolved in that manner. But um, so it, it's turned into that, like empowering women, and teaching about leadership, growing leaders behind us. So it, it's kind of multifactorial now. Well, and, you know, even in your journey of with having a son and, and knowing that you can prioritize what you want to and have this very thriving, fulfilling career where you are making huge impact on multiple fronts, I think is is a great example for other people in the profession. Like you said, this profession is very much women dominated. So I think it's good to have those role models and examples of people who are able to thrive in both aspects of um and it's more it's more than two i think i we're dynamic we've got Probably, so much yeah. <laughs> to, to us so i i love this what are uh, you know at this point in your your career what are some of the things that you would recommend to others who will you know are, are probably maybe early to mid career where they're kind of trying to find out what's the right path for them so that's a good question, because uh, I would argue that I thought I knew the path. And then it was, as I look back on it now, it was really a simplistic idea about a, a girl who loved her horse, you know, and that was like the basis of it. And as I grew and as a person in the world, and as the complexity of my understanding of how the world worked and what was available changed and grew, then so did my choices. And so like my son is an example right now of wanting to find the right things to do it forever. And I keep using this as an example, like, Ryan, like I, I, you know, I've had five careers, you know, and here I am. And so I just think that it's, it's hard to know until you know, but the first place, you know, is in your heart, you know, where you are is not what you really want to be doing. It served you for some season of your life. And so then it's a matter of being open to what is potentially bringing you joy or what is exciting you. I think it's all about this excitement, like what excites you? And 
what usually happens in those moments is you something excites you and they're like, oh, I can't do that. Oh, it's too hard. Or, you know, five reasons why you'll never be able to do that kind of come to your mind. And if you can sort of push that aside and be like, wait, this is exciting to me and just take one little action step towards investigating that or talking to somebody who does that, that kind of thing is a good way to sort of get you launched on a new journey, uh, at least understanding a new journey before the fear kind of comes in and squishes it for you. So, so yeah. that's what I would recommend is that people just listen to your heart and, uh, and take a step towards something that it's like excites them to learn about that. Yeah. I, I love that. If something kind of piques your curiosity, allow yourself to kind of play with it. And does that curiosity yes. growing where you're wanting to do more? And then you've kind yeah. of, and, and like a scientist, right? You've kind of started to test your hypothesis. Ooh, I might like this. Mm -hmm. And you, you experiment and yeah. if, you, if you like it, you keep going. So I exactly. Like that. So with your company that you're with now is Gallant. So what was the story to kind of get you into this company? <laughs> I was already working in a different company. I was happy there. I was chief scientific officer. It was stable. It was, I was really happy there. I loved everybody I worked with. And then a recruiter called me and, and then they sent me the job description. I didn't ask for it. They sent it to me and I looked at it and I was like, wow, this kind of looks like it was written for my background, for my set of skills. And, and of course it peaked it piqued my interest again because I, I never stopped being in love with this space of regenerative medicine. And I looked at it and I looked at it and it, it was kind of a hard decision to make a leap because I was going from something that was a little bit more stable or felt more stable to a startup where there was nothing. We would have to create everything all over again. And oof, that was a little daunting to me at the time. And um through a lot of conversations with, uh, you know, friends and, and colleagues, they, they just said, Linda, like, you have to do this. Like, we had started something at Vetstem many, many years ago that we'd, we all really wanted to carry to fruition. And that was to really bring uh, an off the shelf cell therapy to the marketplace. And for just a variety of reasons, that's a hard task, it requires tons of money, for a variety of reasons, we weren't able to do that there. And so this was my second chance to do that. And there were two other employees at Gallant before me, and both of them were people I had known from my past and everything. And they they were just, you know, vibrant about it. They were just, Linda, come on, we have to do this, you know. <laughs> and so um, I I jumped in the pool and we started. I mean, it was a daunting thing, but it's been an amazing, amazing journey. It's been a huge growth experience. The founder and CEO at that time, he was a special guy. His name was Aaron Hershorn. He was special. He was really a visionary and uh, he was very good at raising capital. And so it was an easy partnership. So I, I stayed in San Diego, set up and ran the business and he lived in Miami and um, he passed away two years ago. But uh, so it's even more important for us now to fulfill our mission and really the mission of Gallant and Gallant Therapeutics. It's kind of two business sectors is to bring regenerative medicine to all pets globally, period. And uh, we're a female led company. Most of the most of my core team are women and people that I have worked with before at Bethstem or other companies. So we have a very deep trust. And uh, we're all just extremely passionate about bringing a whole new class of therapies to the marketplace. Mm -hmm. 
The people who currently work there, are there other veterinary professionals or what are kind of like the roles that you represent? Yeah, so as part of clinical development and regulatory, those physicians have veterinarians. Um, Those veterinarians, one of them works with the FDA and also handles the clinical trials, so writes the protocols. And she has a team that under her that monitors the studies, that kinds of those kinds of things. So there's a variety of uh, veterinary and veterinary technician type roles that that fulfills. I think that's probably the most of it. In the manufacturing space, we have PhDs and scientists. So for example, I'm a DVM PhD and I started off as chief scientific officer in this company before moving to CEO. So I hired uh, a DVM PhD from UC Davis to be our lead scientist. So we're transitioning to her now and growing her up. So that's another area if you're dual degreed, but it's it's really nice when you have that dual degree, even as a scientist. And she's a hardcore bench scientist, you know, but in order to do some of the bench work and some of the thinking that has to go into creating, for example, potency assays on our cells, she has to understand the pathophysiology of disease and being able to apply science to those diseases. And so dual degrees are, are often nice and necessary in industry roles as well. So before I go and ask more questions about, you know, your experience in in leadership and supporting people, building people up, let's let people know a little bit more about Gallant and what uh, Stem Cell, like what the company does, the business model and what Gallant offers, especially the veterinary audience. Sure. So Gallant is really two businesses. And I'll, I'll talk about the first piece of the business, which is where we started. And that was the vision uh, for that piece of the business was to be able to harvest stem cells from the reproductive tissue. So you have a dog or a cat, you take it in and get spayed or neutered. And rather than throwing that tissue in the trash, the veterinarian puts it in our validated kit, sends it to our lab, we harvest the stem cells, and then we store them, bank them uh, for future use. And then your veterinarian, like say three years from now, your dog gets osteoarthritis or something, probably we'd be way later than that because the reproductive tissue, which are usually taken from puppies, it gets away or some other thing. Your veterinarian calls us, works with our clinical team, which you know has been in regenerative medicine for gosh, 15 years or so, works with our clinical team and is able to create doses to give that pet back. So that's one piece of the business. But that piece of the business, other than the storage part of it, really isn't scalable. And it's also like it's not scalable globally, that kind of thing. And so really where the field has moved uh, in the last 10 years is really to off the shelf or allogeneic therapies. And so the second part of the business, which takes longer, costs more money, is what we call the the therapeutics part. And so in that part of the business, we um, have a contract research organization who has a dog, they donate their uterus through a spay procedure. We harvest the stem cells from that uterus we have a CGMP ISO 7 manufacturing facility. We grow those stem cells up into millions and millions of doses. So one uterus, for example, from a cat can create about 30 million doses of off-the-shelf cells. Those are all frozen down, and then they become something that any pet can use. So for example, allogeneic stem cells or mesenchymal stem cells 
They have very low or no what they call MHC class two receptors, which are things that elicit an immune response in an animal. So you can, it's so it's called a universal donor. You can give the stem cells from this one dog to any dog and with no problem. And the stem cells then have immunomodulatory properties. So originally the idea, you know, that everybody thought was that, oh, a stem cell goes into the body and then it turns into something else because that is a trait of stem cells. They can turn into muscle or heart or, you know, fat or anything, cartilage. So we all thought, oh, it's going to go in there and it's going to turn into that. And so it's regenerative, but it's really the school of thought now and, and science is bearing it out is that, is that they secrete certain cytokines and through paracrine effects, they go into the body they're met with whatever environment that they're in. Maybe it's an inflammatory environment and they secrete certain cytokines that then moderate that, what they're finding in the body. And so, so for example, in our current product, which is slated to launch, it's an FDA regulated product. It's slated to launch in early 2025. It's for feline chronic gingiva stomatitis. And there's a certain percentage of cats that don't respond to typical standard of care. The typical standard of care for those cats is you extract all of their teeth and you give them steroids. Well, then what do you do if they don't respond to that? Like there's nothing left. And so those cats will die. And many of them go on and are euthanized because they're in too much pain. Stem cells go in and it's been shown that feeling chronic gingival stomatitis is a T-cell mediated problem. And so stem cells secrete certain factors, IDO, PGE2, that then mitigate that those overreactive T cells. So decrease T cell activation and T cell proliferation. And then those cats, a good portion of those cats, more than 60% of those cats go on to improve and survive. Stem cells are the only thing known to be able to do that today. And so it makes them, pet parents call us crying for two reasons, either to get their cat into our study or because their cat is doing so well on the stem cells. And so it's, it's kind of an emotional thing. Um, it's a small market, sure it is, but we have a platform of products. And so getting this one product through the FDA, uh, which would be the first product when that happens, really de-risks the rest of the platform and enables us more easily to get the, the other products through to approval, so. Yeah. Get over the initial new shock, right, (laughs) of something and show that it can work and open the doors to the other things to make it go faster. That's fascinating. So you said it was a a small market. To me, this seems like, like, I wonder how widely known is this in the veterinary space, either among veterinary professionals, but also around pet owners? Like, do pet owners even know that this is an option for, for their pets? So I think historically, VetStem did a great job of educating the veterinary community about stem cells. But I think for a long time, it was a specialist product. It was, you know, it was started in horses and and then dogs, and it was used uh, by specialists who could inject joints easily, that kind of thing. And so I think the education piece is still still a challenge and and still something that we're committed um, or not something we're still committed, but it is something that we are committed to, to changing. It's part of the pre-marketing uh, strategy to be able to increase awareness of regenerative medicine products um, with veterinarians. And I think there's some stigma in the industry too, and that, you know, the whole industry started in a non-regulated space. And as the FDA has, has been educated and caught on and caught up as well, uh, we've grown into now this 
business that we're in now, which is a an FDA regulated space, which is um, so I think historically there's this less positive perception because and even on the human side, you know, people are selling stem cell therapies without uh, having adequate studies done to show their efficacy and safety and that kind of thing. So there's been a lot of you know criticism on the human side. Um, well, that was that's part of the veterinary side as well. And so moving into this um, FDA regulated space, creating off the shelf therapies brings far more legitimacy and credibility to the space. And with that comes, though, the education of the non-specialist, all the GPs about, hey, this works. These are our published papers. This is what we're doing. And that's that's a you know, that's a daunting task. That's it's a big job. So uh, we're we're rolling that ball up the hill. <laughs> Uh, but it'll be a little while. I mean, we were starting right now to work on campaigns, educational type campaigns uh, for that. But um, it'll take some time, just like any new thing for any of us, right? It's going to take time to learn about it, accept it. It's not, it's it's somewhat complex. It's not easy to understand all the time. And But we're committed to doing that. So, Well, and that was one of the unique things that I picked up looking at the website was that you're moving from specialist ability to use this as a treatment to a general practice veterinarian. So I think the website said that whatever veterinarian you're feeling comfortable having a spay or neuter procedure, they will be able to utilize the this treatment for pets. So I think that's pretty exciting, especially for the veterinarians who do kind of take the opportunity to learn about it and implement that as a another treatment option that they can offer clients and ultimately pets, right? I think it's pretty exciting. Yeah, 100%. We're excited about it. <laughs> I think speaking to that too about, about general practitioners, you know, it's one reason why we're creating an osteoarthritis product for dogs that's delivered intravenously because all veterinarians can give an intravenous injection, but not all veterinarians can give an intraarticular injection and feel confident about it. And so that piece is important to us. And we learned anecdotally, this is, you know, learnings from, from way back when, but, you know, when you would treat a dog for atopic dermatitis and his atopic dermatitis would get better by treating him IV with stem cells, well, his OA would get better too. And so it was, you know, just like watching and observing and trying to figure out what's going on there which is what you know gave us the idea that oh we should we should be looking at studies where we're trying to l- deliver this product intravenously for dogs that have osteoarthritis makes it makes it a gp product so oh wow that's so cool <laughs> and then going to your specific role you're running a startup you're managing not only a business but you know individuals as well you're working with venture capitalists i mean what are your experiences in this career, what do you like the most? What continues to challenge you? So it's it's definitely been a growth journey for me, which I love. I love to be, I'm very into personal development. So I, I love to always be learning about myself and evolving. I always loved business. And so even in my last job, I was president and chief scientific officer. So I was kind of like the number two person. So you could work with the CEO and really learn more of the business aspects and that's what I was when I came into Gallant, president and chief scientific officer. So I was allowed and able to partner with Aaron at the time to really learn the business at, at a much higher level because, you know, we, we had first class venture capital investors on board. And with that comes a level of seriousness and a level of dedication and a level of excellence, I should say, <laughs> uh, that 
is, you know, scary sometimes. And so I, I've been at every board meeting that we've had, but I wasn't really in charge of the board meetings until, you know, until I became CEO. And even though I'd been there for you know two years doing it, making the slides and all of that, it became different when I had to own that process. And so, but I do love it because it's allowed me to grow. So I've had to learn about finance. I've had to, to learn more deeply about you know, hitting milestones that are what they are called uh, value inflecting milestones for the business and why that's important for, you know, investors. And so it's this, it's this dance and this complex process of running the business in such a way that you're, you're increasing its value or, you know, attempting to increase its value, managing the relationships of all the people involved, your board, your investors, and all the people that are with you on your team. I love that complexity. It's scary, you know, it was more so then than now. But I, I think I've I've learned a lot too that and that's not always the case. So I don't wanna, you know, make this that it's it's a global phenomenon. But in our particular case, we have an amazing set of investors and an amazing board. They're all I think I'm the only woman there, <laughs> which I'm trying to change a little bit. Nice. But um it's a it's an amazing set of men who have empowered me and my team to grow and uh, have just walked alongside us. And so from that perspective, I think it's been a blessing in that um, I've had a, a really safe and, and productive environment to be able to do the growth that I've had to do. So um, I still love the science. I'm not as deeply involved in the science. That's why I hired this stellar, amazing DVM PhD out of Davis. And she's just, I don't know, I'm so happy with her and she's doing a great job. And I love sitting in on the R&D meetings and things, but I can tell the more you know, time and, and, and effort that I have to put into this other part of the business, the less I'm able to keep up with all of the science and uh, et cetera. But so I, I miss the science Yeah. <laughs> in short. Do you, you think you will be able to get back to science in some way or pretty focused here for now and worry about that later? <laughs> Yeah, so I think what I like to do now is is participate and weigh in and make sure I'm understanding everything that's going on. But I, I don't see myself going back, right? Like when you evolve as a person, like do you ever really go back to who you were kind of thing? And and so while I miss it, I now have, uh, I'm more focused on other things that are meaningful to me, growing leaders up behind me empowering the women and the men, but we only have two, <laughs> but empowering everybody, but I'm focused on the women uh, to, to know that they can uh, work in a space and still have a child. And there's a different way to do business. And so we're a very values focused. We have a very values focused culture. I'm adamant about it. Doesn't mean we don't have conflict, but we've developed enough, enough trust with each other that we can have open conflict and have it all be okay. You know, people learn to apologize and, and take accountability for, for their behavior and things. But in, I would say in a, in an overall way, the culture is what's really special about Gallant. And it's honestly too the reason why I always say we've been able to accomplish, you know, six years worth of work in three, uh, because when you're with a group of people that are very, that love what they do, that feel empowered to do their job and are accountable for their area. Uh, so there's no micromanagement of anybody. There's synergistic effects to that that just make exponential growth. And I don't know, even I sit back and I, I watch that and, and am impressed. And so 
So I'm really focused more on the development of the people in our organization now, obviously with this at the same time that we're are trying to accomplish this huge mission in veterinary medicine, I'm more focused really or as focused on growing the people, including myself uh, in this. And, and that takes a level of vulnerability that's sometimes difficult as a leader to have, but uh, I try to be that way, you know, sharing my own fears and my own deficiencies or, you know, I screw up one day, I have to apologize to somebody, you know? So it's when they see me doing that, it's easier for them to do that. We, we try to create a safe space for people to grow into their, the potential of who they can be. Lead by example. I think that's very wise. And everything that you've mentioned about growing people and, and leadership, I think can apply to any type of setting for someone who's trying to be a leader um, at any level, I think as well is trying to foster that culture. So what, and, and I'm sure you've mentioned some of them already, but if someone came and wanted to know you know, I just got this new leadership position. I, I want to maintain a good culture. What are some of the top tips you would give that individual? Creating a positive environment and demanding that from people or just making the environment so positive that the negative person really stands out and no longer feels comfortable. You know, that's happened. People have dropped off of the organization. The more positive and the more we grow, some people who, you know, are more negative minded, they, they don't like, they don't feel comfortable anymore, you know? So I say creating a positive environment, focusing on values, um, visualizing your future together, having a growth mindset and choosing people with these qualities, choosing positive people with a growth mindset. We harp a lot on self-care. You know, you won't see me, you know, telling people to stay later. You'll, you'll see me at six o'clock when I'm leaving or something saying, why are you still here? You know? Uh, fostering self-care because if we're not taking care of ourselves, we're never going to be able to take care of the business and focusing on being excellent, not perfect, but excellent at what you do. Yeah. Is there anything else you've noticed in, in the, the profession that you would kind of recommend or, or send as encouragement? You know, at the risk of sounding cliche, I think people can be really whatever they want to be. I think it's a matter of, uh, listening to your heart and to taking some steps to to figure that out. And I don't think it's bad to change. You know, I've changed careers, so to speak, you know, like five times. <laughs> and uh, I think I'm doing okay. So <laughs> so I, I think don't be afraid to change and um and you can do you can do anything. So great message. If people want to learn more about Gallant or stem cell regenerative medicine, where would you recommend that they go to learn more? Uh, you can start with gallanttherapeutics.com, all spelled out. There's also the other website for the storage businesses, uh, gallant.com. There's a lot of uh, information on that site too, probably some papers as well, published papers. Fantastic. Is Are there any type of materials or literature that veterinarians could hand out to clients around that conversation of spay or to kind of, because I, I, when I was going through, I was thinking about that. I was like, oh goodness, you know, that that's a very timely mm -hmm. conversation. So are there materials that veterinarians could use to talk with pet owners? Sure, we have them. Anybody can contact Gallant through uh, the customer service line that we have. We can send them information. Uh, they can talk to our clinical veterinarians. Yeah, any of those options. Fantastic. 
Well, I want to thank you for for coming again on the podcast. I always end with a final four questions. So the first question is, what is something that people may get wrong about you? So I can be kind of intense about work. (laughs) Uh, The standards are really high um, and our mission is huge. And so I think people at times feel like they can't make a mistake or they have to be perfect. And then when mistakes happen, you know, my response is compassionate and solution focused. And so I think they learn and we build trust together that way that, oh, you know, Linda's intense, but, but it's not what I thought, you know, it's, uh, it's, it's still going to be okay. <laughs> you know, you can make a mistake. Excellent. And question number two is what is a hidden skill or interest that you may have? So I'd say that would be writing. I use writing a lot in my profession, and I have, but I've also um, published a nonfiction book on um, equine lameness. Uh, I wrote a novel that I had an agent for that I decided in the end not to publish, and I'm working on a book right now that is going into the revision stage, so it's probably uh, maybe a year away from being ready for for publication. Congratulations. I love writing. (laughs) Yeah, that's a lot of work. (laughs) Do you still ride too? When you first said riding, I thought you meant like horse riding. Do you still get to ride? I don't, but we have a number of equine people in our company and they're constantly trying to get me to ride. And I don't know what it is. I just want to, I don't want to ride. I, I do like to still watch horses. I love to pet them. I love to be around them, but I don't have, I don't have that drive to ride anymore. Not sure why. That's right. Actually, I'm very similar. So I was one of those little girls that was a loved going to the barn and and rode since very young age. And then in high school, I got a little focused on other things. And uh, so I I definitely get that. That's okay. (laughs) (laughs) Third question is, what is something on your bucket list? Mm, Flying in a G6 to the Galapagos. Oh, wow. The Galapagos Islands. That was kind of this bucket list thing when, you know, some day in the future when we cross the threshold of, of having enough uh, funding to do that, et cetera, as, you know, taking our team to, to the Galapagos and the G6. That would be really cool. And finally, what is something you're most grateful for? I think, you know, all the love that I see in my life, my inner circle of my son, uh, my partner, my close family, good friends. Uh, but as we've moved through this journey of, you know, losing our former CEO, et cetera, I've really seen the love and support of so many amazing individuals around us, business people, you know, high-powered businessmen uh, who are just brought down to, you know, the heart level and walking alongside of us and help helping to create this mission or fulfill this mission that we have as a company and as people. And so I'm just really deeply grateful for all of those individuals in my life. Oh, wow. It does sound like you have a really good surrounding of good human beings. And that is really important to find that position. So I'm very happy to hear that. Mm -hmm. And I'm kind of curious, the venture capitalist, you talked about, you know, Mm -hmm. the businessmen. Mm -hmm. And, Mm -hmm. you know, I just imagine this room and long table full of men in suits and (laughs) having financial (laughs) conversations. And I didn't know if there was, you know, some maybe some of the reasons why yeah, I'm sure they're excited by the technology, but I didn't know mm-hmm. if there was something special that you've kind of heard them say or or just kind of even within your own team that mm-hmm. the fact that we're 
doing this with animals and pets. I didn't know if you had noticed that there was mm, something I kind see. of special about that. Well, usually they have a pet and so they can all relate. I think everybody around our team has a dog. I was just thinking through the people. They all have a dog or a cat. Most of them have dogs. And so I think the moment you think about your dog, you, you're in a heart space, right? You're in, you're in a heart space. And so that's what we allow people to bring their dogs to the office. I can walk out of my office and be stressed and upset about something. And the moment I see Jasper in our office, who's a big you know, lab, I immediately am not stressed. I'm happy. And you know, you're different. And so I think our pets are like family. And I think that all those men you know, are part of our VCs. They think about their dogs that way too. They're like family. And so um, they're super committed as well to doing something novel and very noble, I would say, um, for the pet community, for the animal health community. I also think too that there's, you know, we're paving the way for human therapies. You know, if, if we can get this product, the first one, and our whole pipeline, honestly, through the FDA, it really, it really sets the stage for having human cell therapies be able to get through the FDA as well in the U.S. And so it's a, it's a noble endeavor, let's put it that way. This has been the Vet Life Reimagined podcast. Whether you are listening or watching on YouTube, I hope you enjoyed this conversation. Please make sure you are subscribed to catch all these amazing people in our profession. Also, send this episode to someone you think who would appreciate it. Have a recommendation for someone who would be a good guest? Please reach out on LinkedIn, Instagram, or Facebook. There aren't that many Dr. Sprinkles. Until next time, Vet Lifers.